0: This is GSAP Conversations from the Graduate School of Architecture, Planning, and Preservation at Columbia University in New York City. I'm Dean Amal Andraus. Thanks for listening. Uh,
1: I'm Jorge Oteropilos, Director of the Historic Preservation Program at Columbia. And today I'm speaking with Francine Hubin, Founder and Creative Director of Meccano Architecten, on the occasion of the 2017 Paul S. Bayard Memorial Lecture. Bayard was the Director of Historic Preservation here at GSAPP from 2000 to 2008, and the author of the very well-known book, The Architecture of Additions*. And now his work contributed significantly to both the scholarship and practice of making additions to historic buildings. Uh, And it's this conversation that we want to follow up on today. This is the sixth annual lecture, uh, among others. They've included Todd Williams and Billy Tsien, Rem Koolhaas, and David Chipperfield to celebrate Paul Bayard's legacy at the school. Uh, hello, Francine, and thank you for joining me. Uh, I wanted to start by talking about your project for the Martin Luther King Library in D.C. This is a phenomenal uh, project, a competition That you won Mm -hmm. um, to really refurbish and make an addition to to the library itself now the library is designed by Mies van der Rohe a towering figure of modernism and you've had to in some way grapple with the legacy of Mies how did your thinking about Mies change as you discovered the way the library was built
0: um first of all uh it's at this moment not a very loved building by the audience but even me, I remember entering me th- uh, entering the building uh, by myself for the very first time I thought what the hell is this and maybe from the outside it really looks like a mess building but from the inside it was very unpleasant, pleasant and logical uh And um, so we started uh, uh, when there was a kind of design competition. So I started to like it, because at a certain moment, you know how you want to change it. And then you think, hey. Uh, So I I already see it with optimistic eyes, how to change it. And uh, we won that competition, but really going more deep in. So that was more almost in an intuitive way, because that was a kind of architect selection. So it was not a very a wide uh, competition, not a very deep uh, competition. You could also see, I think we were the most respectful to the building, how we wanted to deal with the building then compared to the other architects, who all of them were American. And then when we won the competition, I really started to do two things. First of all, visit many buildings of Mies van der Rohe, Germany because I'm from the Netherlands so Germany it's I, oh, in a way I was born very nearby and I come from the same area uh, the south of the Netherlands and he's from Aachen that's really like uh, 10 minutes from each other so we come <laughs> from the same earth we were born on the same earth I wanted to visit as many buildings of him in the United States but also especially in Germany To understand it, also, I wanted to look at how many of his buildings were restored because, of Mm. course, a lot of his buildings have problems, most of them technical problems. We also did find the original project architect. I think that was for me extremely important. We did research to all um, archive material on this building. And the funny thing is that, in a way, this was not a well documented building, or not, you know, it was almost an unknown building of him. But the whole archive, we didn't find it in the library itself, in, this, in his own building. And talking to the original architect, I think was for me very important. So I felt, you know, if I because in a way I I was starting to yeah, to do something in his building, and I wanted to feel comfortable that I did respect him to, by analyzing a lot of his work. And of course, I knew Mies van der Rohe, but really designing in his building—that's something different. But at the same time, could I add something to this? Because it's also a building named after Martin Luther King, and one of his very first buildings named after Martin Luther King. And what I also realized that when Mies designed, with his project architect, this building, it was not a building for Martin Luther King. So I also wanted to understand much more the values of Martin Luther King mm. and um, and together, and of course also with the librarian, it was, uh, was always, t- to be honest, the whole big issue, maybe you all think as architects, you know, it's a Mies van der Rohe building, but for Washington, it was totally not interesting, the whole thing of, Washi- of uh, Mies van der Rohe. How to celebrate Martin Luther King, that was the big issue. Right. So I really wanted to understand a lot about, of course, of the values of Martin Luther King, um, not only for uh, uh, his history, of course, and uh, but also how can we celebrate that in the future as uh, values that are almost um, forever.
1: What, what about that building says Martin Luther King, apart obviously from the inscription on the facade, but is there anything that you associate with the values of Martin Luther King in there? Uh,
0: I think what we did very much that, of course, it's just named after him, And and it's it's not that his collection is in that building. It's, it's, uh, um, so it's much more to celebrate him. And of course there was, um, you know, paintings and all that kind of stuff are still in that building and we will keep that. But we didn't want to honor, together with the librarian, just his, you know, with a painting or a statue, it should be alive. Uh, So what we try to do, um, also, because if you look very well to the work of Martin Luther King it's very much about learning, giving opportunities to everybody, it's very much about uh, creating jobs um, it's very much about even uh, lifelong learning uh, so what we did uh, I, I sometimes said I felt as almost two men on my shoulder, on the left side is maybe Miss van der Rohe, but on the right hand side is Martin Luther King and Sometimes I think the building of of that building is uh, because in a way at the end it's very flexible mm. uh, so it combines very well with the values of a library of the future a library what is named after uh, Martin Luther King uh, but sometimes it was conflicting mm-hmm. uh, then the work of Mies was too dogmatic so then then sometimes I changed it so I then mm-hmm. I said no then Martin Luther King is more important to make the building more open a more welcoming entrance um, the, the stairs are horrible in that building so I really wanted to change the stairs so in a kind of very subtle way I balanced I think uh, Mies and Martin Luther King and if it was conflicting then Martin Luther King won I always said
1: mm. no, libraries today are such an interesting moment because when you go to libraries in cities you see um, who really uses them. You know, there's a combination between people who just don't have anywhere else to go, um, school children that are, you know, on a class field trip. Um, what What was your learning about the people that use the libraries in uh, D.C. and how to accommodate for them? Is this different than other libraries you've worked on?
0: Every library is different and has a different audience, all over the world, Uh, Uh, because we have been working on libraries in Athens, I can tell you, there's almost no books in Athens, and there's a lot of um, people having no jobs, and a lot and a, a very young generation with ha- almost having no uh, opportunities.
1: No and books th-
0: in Athens. No, the, the, I, uh, also librarians say the south, more south you go in Europe, there's less books, and the more north you go, has, uh, the, the Netherlands, uh, the UK, Scandinavia, there's more books. Interesting. Yeah, I think it has to do with climate and culture and budget. Uh, or- no, that's not, I think that's already, that, that I don't know. But it's also culture, maybe. Um, yeah, well, what it's you cu- do cu- in the
1: library, you go do cu- something else.
0: It's cultural difference. Uh-huh. In in the Scandinavian countries, um, what I rather, yeah, that I can't talk for many <laughs> hours about this, yeah. but the Scandinavian countries have a t- totally different culture about libraries, a very strong tradition of libraries than uh, in Greece, for instance, yeah.
1: I, as a child i have to say i never went to a public library that just wasn't part of the, i grew up in spain there was no yeah, real spain. yeah no connection to to public libraries in the way yeah. that they are here you know yeah. sort of places where school so children go yeah the same what i say that in
0: the, yeah. in the south of europe it's different than uh, um, and also what was but even there's a already a difference between Washington DC and uh, and New York. Mm -hmm. But even here in the branches, because now I'm teaching, I'm giving a studio at uh, Yale at this moment, and I wanted um, to research also branch libraries. Mm -hmm. So for instance, I took two libraries of Manhattan and one of Amsterdam, uh, one in Chinatown, and one in uh, Shetan Park. Um, but also you see already a difference between Chinatown and Chatham Park, uh, that the culture has a, chi- a lot of Chinese people in uh, that part of Manhattan. It's a totally different way how they deal with a library uh, than in Chatham Park or in the mid-Manhattan library or in the one in Amsterdam. All
1: right. if, if the If a building can be an argument, if a building can be considered an argument, Certainly, changing it, adding something to it, would change the argument. Um, how, if that's true, then, mm-hmm. and, and certainly Paul Byard thought that was true. Mm-hmm. Um, as a lawyer, he was always arguing for buildings and telling the story that he thought the buildings told. Um, if, the, if it's true, then how has the argument changed with your addition to the Martin Luther King Library? What, how is the argument that the building? tells slightly different you talked about openness um
0: yeah, it's also about side that's what I, I i i i'm so happy to give a lecture for you here with, with this theme it's also very much about side imagine this building uh, this library in washington was designed in the end 60s it was opened in 1972 it was in an area what was a no-go area <laughs> um um, also the building it's the very first they asked Mies van der Rohe to design it because they were you know uh, famous uh, architect he was already in his 80s I believe did he die in the process yeah he died during the process um, and um, but in a way he designed it for me not as a public building mm. Also, but also it's, again, side guys. So that was the time you can see in this existing building, it has a lobby. It could have been from a bank or from an uh, (laughs) KPMG or whatever. So it's for almost like his famous lobbies. And then there is four staircases going up, totally unfriendly staircases. And the floors, it's not a high building. It's floor two, three, and four above it. But in a way, with a glass, Um, glass facade around it Mm. and it's so strange because all the book shelving is where is the glass and in the inner core they made a lot of brick walls I don't I have no clue why there's all the staff sitting so but also at the same time is that at that time I don't think that people would go up to go to the collection and that it was really a browsable collection I think it was much more that you enter the building ask for a book and you you get it Uh so so I think think we should not just blame Mies van der Rohe, that it's a very unfriendly building, Uh, um, but it was zeitgeist, and I think he he was totally not aware, I think, about uh, how libraries work. Although there was a very good librarian uh, who made the, the brief, the program of the building, and also sometimes people told me, and I think that's also true, is that they said don't worry about daylight it's now the 60s we invented um, fluorescent light and there's air conditioning so you don't need daylight anymore so so it's a very strange no, that's why they said for don't forget about zeitgeist and especially the american zeitgeist
1: right right and so you've had you've made a rooftop addition to the building haven't yeah. you that originally there was supposed to be housing but then you moved away from yeah. from that Uh When we
0: did the competition, it was housing, uh, even affordable housing, maybe, or they they were not sure about that. But that uh, during the process, they decided what I think was a good decision not to add housing to it because it made it very, very complicated.
1: And so this friendliness that you've that you've brought to it is also part of the zeitgeist today that that. Libraries are, in your mind, to be more friendly. But I wanted to ask you about the library as a site of sort of architectural experimentation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a number of architects have, when built recent um, recent libraries, and I'm thinking of Rem, Coolhas in Seattle, and others, um, attempted to really rethink what this building type is today, because of the very simple reason that the internet has really moved. The dial a little bit away from the physical book which was these places were storage places um and so how was this library um i mean you've worked on a number of them but how how does this library been a site for experimenting about the role of public institutions or or of this particular type for you do you see them moving in a certain direction do you see libraries moving um maybe away from books towards books just uh,
0: i think uh, this. At the same time, it's not such a big change, maybe, because it's about exchanging knowledge. Mm-hmm. That's the basic for me what is a library. And, so, and a lot of people associate it with books, but you know, I can exchange knowledge by talking to you, or read a book, or read an e book, or because there's free Wi Fi, or whoever, what will happen in the next uh, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten years. So it's still uh, what you also can see over the whole world that libraries are extremely successful when they made when they did change the library in more um in a in a more uh, up to date uh, way uh, also librarians have t- in a way also to change eh? it's not just protecting the books and having no no mob- nobody coming in no it's really a change, but at the same time, I said it's you cannot talk about the library. It's totally different. Eh? I did for instance a library for a technical university. It's totally different from uh, what has um, what has a lot of computers, mm-hmm. and what what is the newest publication is the most important because they're always busy with innovation. It's totally different from a university. What is about languages and law, where mm-hmm. the, the it's it is it, different. Uh, what is the, the meaning of a book is or. Uh, as I mentioned to you, uh, a circulating library is totally different from a research library. And then you have, um, uh, then, for instance, we did also the Birmingham Library in, in Birmingham in the UK. It is a combination of a research library with a collection with a city archive and a public library, a, a circulating library. What in a way is also the one in New York is a combination of... a The the two buildings, the campus, with a research library, with a collection, and a circulating library.
1: Mm -hmm. You you talk a lot about purpose, the word purpose. What do you mean by that?
0: Purpose is, uh, uh, yeah, I I even, my latest book is called People Place Purpose, and I always say, even in that order. Mm -hmm. Because here at school, you often, it's very much purpose driven. Often, I don't know if your school is like that, but you get a brief or program and square footage and uh, what kind of relationship. But I'm now working, I think, for 30 years, and I can tell you in all my work in 30 years, it's, it's always changing. The brief is always changing. So why are we so much purpose-driven? Uh, I think we should create space, uh, that good and pleasant space that can um, give space to uh, change. And then uh, then there's the place, Then the second, and then the first is the people.
1: Now, of course, I, I keep thinking of uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, who who yeah. said that hell is other people. Um, but you you have a different opinion of people. How do you how do you approach humanity in your in your architecture? How do, you, do, you, do you assume certain things about about people when you start designing?
0: Uh, maybe most important. That's interesting because I, uh, I be, uh, as Meccano, we work. Kind of worldwide, huh? we uh, in, Ch- in uh, Korea and Taiwan and China and Spain and <laughs> Greece and uh, here in the United States and the UK and Norway, whatever. But what I say, because sometimes people ask me, well, how can you work in all these different cultures? And of course, I have to understand and observe the culture and the climate, huh? because it's totally different. How it's tropical country, it's a tropical, or here in New York or in Boston. Um, but at a certain there is v- human values that do not change uh, it's very much about your senses it's about it for me it's very important how to deal with daylight mm-hmm. and of course daylight is also in every climate different uh, how to deal with acoustics is for me extremely important uh, it's even about smell or about uh, how you touch materials or uh, everything, what you see, what you experience. Also very much about moving. I always hate these people behind the computer, my own style for students. You know, go back, uh, walk in the street, see what's happening and how you move through a building.
1: Okay. So well, you just raised the question of smell, which is one of my obsessions. How does the Martin Luther King Library smell?
0: It's, it's kind of strange because it, even a lot of buildings in the United States for me are very... Um, making a lot of noise and uh, not very well ventilated. But often has to do with smell, <laughs> I can tell you, because now I'm looking outside and now it's the spring and everything is blossoming, so that look, smells better. But um, no, I think people are sensitive to that. Uh, so I really like much more. It's also amazing working in the United States. So much uh, space that is needed for MEP, you call it? For yeah. Electrical and... Too much? yeah totally uh, air-conditioning country. I, I always like to make a kind of mixed-mode ventilation system. And also, w- I also experience also working on the roof of um, the Mies van der Rohe building, the, the Martin Luther King Library, but even the one we did in Boston. If you stand on the roofs of the building, is so much noise from all surrounding buildings. Uh, that's not accepted in not in the Netherlands or even not in Europe, I think, but even in-house how much noise all your installations, your MEP is making. Here I don't hear it, to be honest. But normally uh, it's much more noisy and uh, there's no attention, less attention to that.
1: Yeah, maybe it's more expensive for it to make noise. That's why we pay for it. (laughs) No. No, 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 no. There's no attention
0: for it, 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 it's, it's, uh, yeah. But okay, I cannot change. I cannot change the United States. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, that's interesting. In buildings like the MLK Library, you know, oftentimes it was so cold that they would, they would seal off. You know, users would close off one of the diffusers, so then there's more air coming out of the next one, and it starts oh, yeah, making yeah. noise, right? And sort of just this, this uh, attempt by people to control their environment oh, that makes possible, it all, yeah. yeah. So you've been working with historic buildings for some time, and is it yeah. something is it something that you enjoy or is it something that uh that you seek out Do you or or they're just the projects come to you that uh, I
0: think it's a kind of coincidence but because you asked me to give this lecture, I thought, hey this is interesting because in a way it's uh if I even if I look at my work, of the work of Meccano, I think I, I should count it. How much percentage is, with, in a way, with existing buildings? You made me aware of it. I was not aware of it. Mm-hmm. And then I also started to, to realize that I like it, uh, to do it. So I, I don't want just to do uh, all buildings, but... Uh, um, what
1: is it that you like about it? What, uh, what draws
0: you are? Yeah, that's why I, I want to show you it with my lecture tonight. Uh Sometimes it's also a kind of story behind it or how I look at these buildings or uh, often when I start in such a building, I often have a kind of fight with that building, I call it, you know, or I hate it or I want to change. I don't know, some emotion with the building. Yeah. Um, and it, sometimes it's very intuitive and then I start also to analyze it and then it becomes more clear to me in a way also the way I, we worked on the Martin Luther King Library and um but it it gives you a, a very strong layer in a way it's even nicer, but I will show you some examples tonight, okay. yeah, yeah of course that's not nice for your radio interview but <laughs> <laughs> or your podcast but uh, um no i i I realize that I really like it, and that's also what I also like is that uh funny because the 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 Three buildings we did here, we're working on now or four buildings in, in the United States. Three of them are like hundred years old. They're all, mm-hmm. all from the same period. The, the one of Mies is now like 50, 60 years old. But buildings I do in, in the Netherlands are much older. Mm-hmm. And also it makes gives me where it makes me also a little bit modest that I feel that I'm just a person that comes by in history. You know that I uh, And often I have to change because, yeah, like these buildings that are 100 years old, the very old ones are not that problematic. But, you know, also if you look at um, the buildings here in in New York, you know, they were, you know, from the beginning of 20th century, eh, 1900, 1907, 1915, something like that. And then they start to change these buildings, you know, or you see really what's happened in the 40s. And the most terrible time was then what happened in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s even. All these additions were almost not very respectful to the building. Uh, Also a lot involved, again, about MEP. Mm-hmm. uh closing down for instance a lot of all the natural lights hey, what came from the roof for instance and just put air conditioning uh, in it and blocking the daylight because there was fluorescent l- fluorescent light putting in air conditions what takes a lot of space so um also if we're working on it it's uh, getting these Values back in the building, but then I also have to solve all these uh, MEP issues. <laughs> <Interesting>. <laughs> so.
1: Which is a cultural thing. Yeah. Which is very much a cultural thing. Well, we want to thank you for coming to lecture uh, today. We're really looking forward to your lecture, but also thank you for your time and speaking with us about your work. Okay, thank
0: you. You can find more information about the school on our website at arc.columbia.edu.